0: So, greetings and salutations once again. It's uh, time as we close out this rather crazy, rather turbulent and tumultuous year with a reflective moment to look back at all the incredible things that we as individuals and we as part of the larger collective have achieved in 2021. 2021 was a year of prioritization. Prioritization. It's a good word. Because it really marks and creates a statement that we evaluated and we assessed all that the universe threw at us, all that the planetary alignments came together and presented to us, whether we liked it or not, whether we were ready or not and showed us just how much we could rise in the face of adversity. We looked, we evaluated, we assessed what we believed in our lives was important. And we found ourselves towards the tail end of this year, I would say in the last three to five weeks, an opportunity to not only reflect on those matters, those aspects of our lives, but to actually acknowledge and implement them in our lives. And that's ultimately where our courage begins and stops. So in Mike's CBD 111 Grow, we arrive at episode two where I true get a chance to reflect on what I have presented and how it's ultimately progressed and expanded into something much larger than I actually deemed would take place. In the last few weeks, since I had some more mishaps in the grow, I've had to reach out to a number of communities and I've been very openly embraced um, by the heart community at 440 online, the magazine and the forum. And they've been an incredible uh, repository of knowledge and access to a lot of very well established growers. So there's been a meeting of the minds that's kind of created some very, very strong conclusions. And the conclusions that we've drawn during this year act as the catalyst in which we can now safely, you know, and with more confidence make those decisions in the future because we are going to be asked to make those decisions in the future, particularly as we progress through the next six weeks with this Venus retrograde. The year in review has allowed us to see things from the most simple lenses and points of view that it's almost an error of comedy. It's, it's, It's a comedy of errors, I should say, that you arrive at the same ridiculous conclusion that there is the silver lining or everything is medicine within the framework of everything that played out during the year. I learned a lot about nutrients, I learned a lot about dosage, I learned a lot about nutrient lockout and uptake. You know, these are the natural sciences involved with growing cannabis. If you're going to do it properly, if you're going to arrive at a conclusion where you're going to be proud to present your wares knowing that it's come from a very sentient and heart-centered space. So in this episode, keeping that as our foundational point, if you like, we're going to concentrate on one of the most simple things of all. And I I am so grateful that on the 440 uh, Community Forum, I found an article that changed my whole outlook in the way that I look at something like feeding a cannabis plant or feeding a flower or feeding any kind of plant or weed. Because it turns out that the way that we humans have been conditioned through our upbringing, through our our, our family, our lineage and whatever to, to, to water plants is so wrong. Because what we're doing is that when we dump water on top of a plant, which we already know has great life force we are literally asphyxiating it with the water. We're literally taking it into a state of distress where it feels that it may experience drowning. And when you think about it, you can understand why. Imagine yourself as the roots in a pot that's already stretched out fairly widely to be touching the sides and really becoming very lateral in its root ball, design, creation. And then all of a sudden this kind of colder, right? Cause your, your, your temperature in the roots, in the soil medium or in the coconut is ultimately quite warm. It's insulated. That's why it's soil. That's why seeds can germinate and grow and whatever, because it's an insulation. It's nature's natural insulation. And then you dump, all this kind of cold water on top of the the surface. And within a few seconds, it begins to seep downwards. So you're getting shock, 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 all the way until you get to the roots. And then the relief begins when the roots are no longer um, covered up by by the depth of water in the bottom of the container and start to seep out the drainage holes and they leave. And then what you find is that you're actually, like I said, you keep pouring it, not realizing that the whole soil medium and the way that it interacts with the root ball of the plant, they all work in a very well-designed process. Process. We're not supposed to dump large amounts of water on anything because it immediately shocks the plant and it does stress as a result. Now, studies have shown orchids, for example, are so delicate and require so little moisture that when they get a major deluge, you know, in a rainforest or in a very wet forestry area, they literally go through panic because they don't know how much water is going to fall from the sky, how much of the water is going to pull up and ultimately keep their roots immersed and somewhat, you know, suffocating and drowning in that medium. So this article actually showed me point by point, step by step, how to water your plants without overwhelming them because remember they're incredibly emotional and their emotional state can be altered very very easily that's why we have these traits whether it be you know warmth cold right damp all of these conditions will influence the way that the plant will ultimately exist and grow, and evolve. So I think you guys are going to find that that part of the show fascinating, because if you decide to take it on board, very much like I did, I think you'll agree that the results will speak for themselves in no time. And then like any good tip, if you really feel that it empowers and supports your situation, you're just going to naturally want to share it. So this is how we pay the good tip or the good knowledge forward. So there's a lot more psychology and a lot more philosophy that's emerging in this second season because there is something even bigger going on around us that many of us are not even remotely aware of. And I thought it probably does have a certain amount of worthy identification to the situation of a cannabis grow and the the pros and cons involved. But I think it goes deeper than that. And perhaps it's kind of like shining a beam on what could very well become a go-to destination in order to find a rebalance, a recalibration of our bodily systems. So let me just begin by saying that I do believe very much when we embody the love, the compassion and gratitude in our hearts, that we gain this greater level of illumination. We we draw more light from the photon belt, from the coronal uh, expanse on the sun and the list goes on, from the different resonances, planetary resonances, we draw that light very much into our light body and it makes us so much more acutely aware. We become almost like razor sharp when it comes to trusting and following our intuition. This is something that I cannot recommend highly enough to every person listening. The more that you just go with your gut, go with your intuition at this time, the more you'll be rewarded by, yes, it is definitely the right choice to make. This is not a time as we go through the remaining few weeks of the nodal shift and the fact that we've had all this Pluto energy around and now the Neptune in Pisces and now you know, Jupiter is going to basically awaken and be in Pisces for a really long time. So that emotionality, that deeper connection to each other and to nature will become more amplified because of Jupiter's oscillating frequency. So what you find when you become a little bit more uh, highly aware and a bit more razor sharp is that you can't have anything pulled over you there's no way anyone can deceive you <clears throat> try to kind of uh throw a a deception net over you or mislead you um and create misconceptions in the way that you react to things in any way because <clears throat> you don't even recognize it right you don't recognize the veil of deception anymore you've already called it out you've already seen through the smokescreen. This is essentially when the shadow and the conscious self come into a convergence, an, uh, an equal zero point of energy. So what I've noticed is that food is going off. Whether it's processed food from a supermarket, whether it's good quality organic produce from a farmer's market, or whether it's you know even perishable items that are sealed in in proper kind of airtight um, containers and uh, and packaging, it's all going off rapidly. And the reason it's going off is because, as a last ditch stand by the so-called. Black Sun and the Cabal and the, you know, the, the Red Circle, Kazarian and Dragon families or whatever, who have had that position of dominion over man for eons, their last gasp is to basically inflict us with a pathogen that will ultimately biosynthesize us, make us into synthetic transhumans, as well as by poisoning our nervous system poisoning our circulatory system which in turn creates a chain reaction that ultimately will subsequently poison the lymphatic system the cardiovascular system and the list goes on so what you notice is that you will buy vegetables whether it be leafy greens and nightshades or whether it be Um, more summer fruits and you'll notice looking at them in the fruit bowl or if they're in the fridge how quickly they begin to brown bananas is a really good example bananas will brown ultra fast and they will become somewhat tasteless because I do believe that they're being tainted they're tainted in an effort to make us sick but to also accept that this is what we have. So not only are they tainting the food, but they continue to poison the water. And this combination of what we consider to be our most important digestion, you know, our meals of the day, our digestion is ultimately drawing all the nutrients and all of the good and bad bacteria that we require In order to maintain a balanced diet in our lives that's out the window that's right out the window so not only does that ultimately generate a great health risk because it means that a lot of us are eating because we don't have choices you know can't afford to keep buying more regularly and whatnot Um, we're finding ourselves getting sick because we're eating rotten produce. A lot of us. And a lot of us are doing it without knowing that we're doing it because we're not acutely drawn to a higher uh, octave of awareness and therefore we we just perceive it as, oh, well, this is just normal when it's anything but normal. So I believe that in a long kind of a playing the long game is probably the best way to look at it in an effort to kind of continue to dumb down the society continue to make the older sectors of the society um, subject to illness and sickness by poisoning the minds of the younger millennials in society and overall generating this kind of very immune-deficient existence for a lot of us because of the poisoning, that this is going to speed up the process of breaking us down even further than the corona has, you know, than the COVID has, um, and ultimately, you know, speeding up, you know, the plans of the so-called darker forces. Now, a lot of us also realize that that time is done. You know, I certainly feel that that time is done, but they're still going to try, in an effort to increase their numbers, manipulate the lower order of humanity. Those that are still very much operating in ego, those that are still very much operating in the lower astral plane, they'll go after them. And because I live in a society in which that is everywhere... I too have to be subjected to the same perversions, because that's what they really are, aren't they? They're perversions. They're perverting the course of living a healthy and happy life. And it's like big pharma and big agriculture and big medicine have all got together and said, if we're gonna maintain and sustain our power and control over the populace, then we need to come together, we need to co-create together and develop a system that makes them completely dependent and co-dependent on whatever it is that we want to shove down their throats. It's a pretty major revelation, to be absolutely frank about it. But a worthy observation nonetheless, because perhaps we are now going to be looking, as I have certainly discovered, towards natural supplements that will help counteract the poisoning effects of living our day-to-day lives. And cannabis, particularly as a tincture as I found out, rather than as an oil, a viscous oil, is a really really great way to kick-start this counterbalance that you want to create so that the microbiomes in your system um, um, got something of a really, really powerful, positive nature to latch onto. While all the other chemicals and all the other um, nano, micro, plastic kind of technology that's also surging through our veins continues to sort of deplete us of our life force, of our life energy. The more that our life force is depleted, the more that we lose our life energy, um, the more we become listless and disinterested and ignorant, willingly to not ask questions, not look for answers as to why things are the way they are. So let's talk about tinctures as a course of this. So what I learned is that you can take some of your buds, some of your flowers, and by simply, you know, putting it into a mason jar—not a big one—and getting some pure alcohol, right? Preferably some pure rubbing alcohol. I was lucky enough to have my um, my mother's partner, um, who brews his own alcohol. He he makes 100 percent proof, and then he distills it down so he can make vodkas and scotches and all that kind of thing. But most people, if you look on YouTube, when it comes to creating tinctures, um, will use anything like white rum or vodka. It must be a white spirit for it to really, really bring all of that organic goodness out of the flowers. In this case, extracting all the cannabinoids, right? into the alcohol so you just simply put um you know some some flowers some buds in a mason jar you cover it with this this alcohol just over the top of it so it's well covered and then on the top you put a bit of plastic glad wrap you know cling wrap because you don't want the metal actually um, connecting and touching the glass once you've got the alcohol in there there's that whole corrosion factor that can be very, very obvious all of a sudden. So a little bit of plastic wrap and then the lid on top, give it a gentle shake and put it in a cool dark place for approximately six weeks. You can take it out after at least two weeks, you can take it out after four weeks and you can certainly take it out after six. The longer you leave it in the alcohol, the longer the cannabinoids will have a chance to ripen and explode into the alcohol because that's really all the tincture is it's a an extraction method by using a pure foundation or base and what i like to do as well once i took my took mine out after three weeks and you go on ebay and you can buy little tincture bottles i think you get a 10 pack for about 25 dollars i did that nice little um uh, what are they? Yeah, uh, seventy mil. Yeah, seventy mil. Sixty or seventy mil. Little tincture bottles, little little kind of eyedropper bottles. And then what I do is once I I am ready, I'll put the whole lot into a plunger, like a coffee plunger, small one, not a big one. You don't know, want a crazy big one. And then gently just depressing the plunger and drawing all of the clear and somewhat, you know, now brownish because of the cannabis, right? It's almost like extracting hash using the bubble method. You'll extract all the fluid in the bottom of the plunger and then you can pour that out into a little saucepan, just a small one. And then once you've extracted all of that, you can put the buds out that, are, that, are, that now have all of the cannabinoids extracted. You put them out in the sun and they'll just dry naturally and you'll have a very tasty and somewhat aromatic herb that you can mix with other herb. It won't necessarily um, get you high. It will, it will, the CBD will still be there to give you that couch and body type of stone, but it won't get you high. But it is great to take it because it's a different aromatic kind of medium matter and mix it up with your pre-existing, you know, normally harvested, dried and cured buds. So once you've got the the fluid, the liquid, I should say, into the pot, get yourself a, a electrical hot plate. No gas, of course. You don't want to bring alcohol anywhere near a naked flame. That's just foolhardy. So a gas hot plate. I've got one of these little portable ones. You plug it in. You turn it on to probably the lowest heat, you know, that you can, and then put the pot on there and just let it heat up to the point where it kind of looks like it's going to boil. And then put the lid on and turn the the hot plate off and let it naturally go through its boil and simmer process while it cools down. You don't need to do it long because you're gonna find that that alcohol is going to burn off, the leftover alcohol is going to burn off fairly quickly. And what you'll be left with is a much more aromatic, you know, tincture. So you take the tincture, you put it now, it's cooled into your little bottle and into the refrigerator. And then in what you do is that before you go to bed, you'll get your little dropper out and one, two, three, maybe three or four drops because it's homemade. It's not like CBD oil under the tongue And don't swallow it, just let it stay under the tongue, just like kind of lubricate your mouth. And then eventually, you know, because it will become a bit uncomfortable, swill some water down with it and that'll be it. That will give you an incredible peaceful night's sleep. You can also wake in the morning and take one or two drops of your tincture, which generates a kind of a, a, an up and go sort of vibe. I want to get on with it, right? You can use tinctures all through the day when you need a little bit of a lift or when you kind of need to wake up your blood cells because we're all becoming more lethargic as we go through these lockdowns, more and more lockdowns. Look at England, that's going into a ridiculous lockdown. Europe will be locked down. America, before you know it, and Australia's constantly in a state of revolving musical chairs, you know, in, as far as it's lockdowns are concerned. So tinctures are amazing. And then, of course, you can also, you know, if you want to get more advanced, you can go online and you can look at different extraction methods to make the more viscous, as I said, that thicker molasses style of CBD oil, you know, which I'm finding is, is you, you don't get that much unless you have a lot of very very high concentrated flowers and buds so i feel that the tincture is a better option and you can make the tincture as strong as you like it to be and you'll get a bigger yield you get more out of the juice than you do when you go through all the extraction processes but i will simply say if you are into making your cbd oil and you don't want to go about all the crazy old methods of you know extraction and how you go about it and whether it's going to be salve based or look it gets really complicated they've come up with a machine you can buy it here in australia for about 350 dollars and it's called the magic butter machine and what it is it's literally a set and forget slow cooking crock pot that also has micro bubble type of um, bubble bags as part of its extraction process, and literally you add some lecithin to it, and you add some—I uh, can't remember the other—the other organic lecithin oil or something like that—and go through the the processes that's um, described on the on the instructions or on the label. And before you know it, you've got pure CBD oil extraction. So it's a very simple, straightforward and you're going to get the best out of it. But again, you've got to think about that, you know, it turns out that you have to replace the innards a bit because you're burning a lot of kind of like the inner protection part of the device off um, especially if you're doing a lot of cbd extractions so that's an option and for those that want to get even more advanced you can go online look at youtube and, and have a look at the incredible invention that is hemp paste hemp paste uses all of the plant rather than just the flowers so you're using the nodes and the stems and the leaves the fan leaves and the and the more kind of um top sleeves. so it's a very very effective way of being able to get the best possible yield um, of the product you're trying to create so that's all i'm going to say about that the most important part in addition to that is that you're doing it to preserve your health to balance your health. Because there is nothing more important in this life, in the next whatever, whatever turn of the spiral turns up, than health. Health predetermines your disposition, predetermines your cognitive ability to kind of, you know, speak, be spoken to and understand. It is the gateway, it is the doorway to finding your interactive balancing point for every part of your life, for every aspect of your life. Health is everything, absolutely 100%. And I do believe that those that don't use the cannabis um, to abuse it, so they they form really, really powerful addictions to the um, the different extractions, the different um, products that are are, are garnered from its beautiful divine makeup, then I think you can get an incredibly well-adjusted idea of how your health is from day to day, week to week, month to month. So that's it, that's what I wanted to talk about today in episode two of Mike's CBD111. And now you get a chance to sit down, relax, skin up, pour that nice organic cup of tea and have a listen to me speaking um, regarding the incredible way that we can go about watering our cannabis, our flowers, our perennials, our annuals, our vegetables, etc to gain the maximum amount of health and vitality from the plants and from the fruit that they create. So have a listen to that. And once again, thanks for tuning in and I'll catch you guys again on episode three of Mike's CBD one, one, one. Take care and Namaste. okay hope you're doing well and uh, just wishing everybody a very happy summer and winter solstice today being the 21st of the 12th month december in 2021 just before we all wrap for the christmas period and i'm going to talk quite a bit today about water i've already discussed the sentient power of water, the purifying nature of water. But today I wanna talk about the proper way to water your plants, because there actually is a proper way to do it. So over the last several years, I put a lot of thought and research into this. And I feel that I can now define the proper way to water a potted plant. So it doesn't necessarily mean that it's exclusive to cannabis. It can be any plant as as long as it's obviously a potted plant. Keep in mind that this discussion applies to at least three gallon containers and bigger. So we're talking about probably about three gallons is going to be the equivalent of about nine liters. Okay, nine liter pots. So between six and nine litre pots. Also realize that this special plant that I have demonstrated and proven this formula on is something that you would never ever have seen before or tried to grow no matter how good you are at growing peas or beans and tomatoes and other perennials and other nightshades and whatever. There's a big difference to watering a potted cannabis plant whether it's sativa or whether it's indica doesn't matter the first rule of watering is to always water slowly using no more than a quart at a time and pausing often to let the soil suck air in behind the water as it pulls on the top for me That involves a routine of watering each of my plants with one quart, then taking a nice relaxing drink of whatever beverage I've brought with me to either the outside grow or to its remained inside. Take a really big deep breath in, breathing in the I am and exhaling the we are right on top of the plant you're about to water, letting her know, because you're always stimulating the female counterparts, letting her know how much you truly love her. Then take another deep breath. Breathing in the satisfaction. And exhaling gratitude and then pour another quart on. Okay? So keep doing this process on the one plant until you can start actually visually seeing the runoff starting, that is, it flowing out the bottom. If it flows out the bottom immediately, this means that the drainage is super fast. So any amount of pace increased or decreased isn't really going to change the way that the plant is going to react so you're looking for that's why i said fairly dense larger pots where it takes time for water to seep through the medium into the root ball absorb what it needs in the roots and then expel what it doesn't out the drainage holes Then you go to plant two and you start to repeat the process. So eventually, let's say you've got three or four plants, you're going to probably spend a minimum of about five minutes per plant. So that's for four plants for a standard water. It's going to take you about 20 minutes. So this is really for people who have the time to nurture their plants and their feeding schedules. So once you do that and repeat the cycle for two rounds, you will water the entire surface of the soil, watching it pull up and get sucked down. After this initial wetting of the top, my watering method now will change. Now I want to do whatever I can to make the outside edges of the container the wettest areas. So still only using a quart at a time I now carefully water only there all around the plant and only on the edges. The center will end up getting some too and that's fine but the wettest areas of the pot will be on the outside edges and you will be driving nutrient-rich soil into the dense original root ball. Continue this again going slow and again with many, many deep breaths inhales and exhales in the middle of it. And then continue all around taking drinks, deep breaths accordingly, and a few hits on your spliff if you've got one, or your vape if you've got one, in between each round and continue this until you start to see again the first signs of the runoff and then stop. Look carefully at the surface of your container now. You will clearly see where the root ball is from your last transplant because it will now be sticking up just a little above the original outer rim. Very fine soil has been driven through the original root ball with the flow of water and soil from the outer edges. This micro-fine soil is very rich with nutrients because of its mobility. When you water from the outside edges, you force this micro-fine sludge into the dense root ball where it can do the most good. Once you establish this flow pattern in the container, you can be assured of totally replacing the micro soil in the center of the root ball with new soil, every time you water. Watering in the normal way does not create this circular flow and root growth cannot nearly be as aggressive. So you're actually developing a watering system that has more nourishing and nurturing qualities than just dumping water into the pot to keep it moist. And yeah, there's a word, I'm trying to think of it. When you keep something moist, you're keeping it aerated and you're keeping it Yeah, water cooled. let's just go with that now lastly take one last quart of water and water very very slowly just in the raised area where the original root ball is as you do so watch what happens at the outer edge of the original root ball you will see the very finest soil almost a mud migrating out of the old root ball and into the middle This completes the process of soil exchange in the container. In this manner, all the roots get to take advantage of the nutrients in the soil, and the roots follow the migration of the nutrient-rich soil toward the outer edges, creating lateral growth. Now I strive to actively drive the soil out of the middle, making room for the roots to grow more dense and bigger there, And as they do, the lateral growth also has to increase. Using this method, I've seen a steady increase in the amount of water needed to get to runoff throughout the grow and by the end. Plants watered in this way use approximately 30% more water than is seen using standard watering techniques. Watering in just any manner other than what I have described allows for a inconsistent regime of the plant receiving water to its roots but if you allow for a constant circular flow of soil throughout the container this will create an extremely dense root ball and the more dense your root ball is the more vigorous your plant growth will be during the vegetative stage. Now, it is time for a scientific truism. It is best to water the roots, not the plant. A healthy and robust root system means a happy and productive plant. Neglect the roots and your plants can die and certainly will be less than they could have been now when do we water by far one of the most common plant problems that i see with new gardeners is a lack of understanding as to when to water new people get it set in their mind that watering every day or every other day is best or that somehow mysteriously they know in their own human minds exactly how much water the plants need these well-meaning new gardeners will determine that they will give exactly one quart or some other random amount each time no more and no less and really believe that they are doing a good thing for their plants, making these decisions for them. Just as bad as these overthinkers are the tomato gardeners, the the stick-your-finger-in-the-ground crowd who proclaim it's time to water when it is dry below the second knuckle. What they fail to realize is that when the top two inches is dry, the lower half of the container could still be saturated with water. Both of these common mistakes in watering methods are quick ways to drown your plants. These methods are not correct for growing weeds and using them can actually kill your plants and I have done so on many, many occasions. Cannabis is a weed. And the main thing that this scientific term refers to is a class of plant that thrives in adversity. In order to grow it well, you need to understand that this is incredibly robust plant works differently than other less hardy plants. It is an extremely aggressive grower if you allow it to be. And to grow prize-winning herbs, you need to use its abilities to send out new roots to your advantage. Watering incorrectly is the most common mistake that new weed farmers make. This plant needs a clear, wet, dry cycle in order to thrive. If you keep it moist, you will kill it. The roots will aggressively chase your water, whatever you give them. If you just give a small amount every couple of days, that water will drop right to the bottom of the container. Your roots will follow and will cluster on the bottom instead of growing laterally throughout the container. And since they continually sit in the nutrient-rich water, the plant sees little need to grow additional roots. How you water makes a huge difference in the formation of the root ball, and how this development happens is completely up to you. There are many ways to tell when it is time to water. And if you wait long enough, the girls will actually tell you that they are thirsty. They do two things when they see they need water. They throw out a smell and they begin to wilt, starting at the bottom, moving up. You can also use the lift method to tell when the container is dry and almost always you will feel a dry container before the above mentioned wilt and fragrance pump happens. Rusty trichomes taught me an important lesson Every time I think that I need to do something to my plants, I wait a bit and I try to move at the speed that my plants are moving. Patience is above all else. This is hard for a lot of cannabis growers who are anxious because they live with them to grow another node already or get another fan leaf or when are you going to go from three blade to five blade or when are you going to go from five blade to seven Or if you're really doing sort of more exotic strains and grows, when are you going to go from seven to nine? If you have a moisture meter, you can also use it to find where the wet dry water table line is in your container and you can watch that wet dry line move down over time. I used to graph my water table every day so that I could project ahead when the wet-dry line would reach the last inch of the container. Your wet-dry line will never go lower than the last inch or so because once you get down in there you are in all the big cap roots and the mass at the bottom and it tends to stay wet there longer because of the capillary effect. Again, if you wait for the first sign of wilt and that perfume pump that happens at water me point, it will usually be just a bit longer than your measurements would indicate. Once the water table line is anywhere in that bottom inch, it's okay to water. You have dried out 95% of the water by that time, and the roots have been chasing it as the wet-dry line progresses, both downward and outward. The suction caused by the diaphragm that is the water table will have pulled oxygen down deep into the container and filled any voids. The roots will maintain and be happy. Now, why do we up-pot? Why do we transplant from one size of pot to another, particularly when we know our plant is root-bound? Well... The art of successive up is important in growing a healthy root system. People like to be lazy. I'm constantly seeing new gardeners take a little sprig of weed and put it in a big three or five gallon container, thinking that they have done a good thing and they're now done with it. It's on to harvest time. The problem is this doesn't work because it gives you zero control over developing the roots. And without crazy watering techniques, almost no chance of a solid root ball forming is possible. It is imperative to successfully up-pot your plants through stages so that the root system can roughly take on the same size and shape as the plant in order to get the maximum productivity. The roots grow aggressively in these weeds. And if you confine them to a container the size of the plant, they will fill that space in a short space of time with a dense root system. Putting a plant in an oversized container can can and often does result in all the roots going to the bottom, drowning the plant and causing root rot and overall poor health because of a lack of a root ball and certainly less than optimum harvests. It is important to force these weeds into producing a root ball at various stages to give the plant the ability later on to take in the massive amounts of nutrients needed to produce lots of quality buds. The plants in the smaller containers can also more directly show you when they are thriving or more importantly when they are not. A strong healthy plant will eventually outgrow its container and an observant gardener is carefully watching the length of time between the wet and the dry cycles and directly relating shorter cycles with more robust roots. A smaller container also gives the gardener the ability to see when the moment arrives that the amount of soil the plant is in is no longer large enough for the plant's abilities to be happy in it. Because it will be obvious when the plant can drain the water that soil is able to hold in less than 24 hours. Your soil and your container at that point have ceased at that point to be a good enough buffer and it is time to double the space the roots have to work with. Let your plant show you when that time is and try not to make decisions for her." Now we've spoken a lot in the past about pH and toxic lockout. I'm now going to go into what I would call advanced detail bringing more relevant and pertinent information to the fore when it comes to understanding the power of pH. Now, a lot of people, a lot of growers that I know claim that pH is not important. And if you are a pure organic gardener, never applying chlorinated water or salt-based synthetic nutrients at your plants, that pH indeed is not important. For the 99.9% rest of the world, A very important lesson for the new gardener to learn is the importance of pH. There is a scientific reason why a proper pH allows the plants to use synthetic nutrients and why being outside of the proper range can cause deficiencies. If you want to grow cannabis using chemicals, you need to invest in a method to test the pH of any water going onto the plant, whether it is plain water or water mixed with nutrients and whether it is applied to the roots or sprayed on the leaves if you neglect the pH you can easily create major deficiencies in your plants and if left unchecked you can kill them now I'm going to talk a little bit about another experiment remember I'm working with magnets I've set the South Pole magnets these little Nexium can't remember their configuration, DH, whatever, something. Uh, But anyway, they're they're these uh, Nexium magnets. And so the South Pole is facing upwards in the bottom of the container and the North Pole is facing upwards at the top of the container. We are not actually trying to repel the polarity of the magnets because what you will do if the plant's in there is you will basically force it to compress and I already showed during this grow that I was able to actually break a stem by having too powerful a magnet polarity um, which I did repair with some blue tack and some sphagnum moss around the blue tack to create a natural conjoining of the uh, fractured area and bringing the plant back into alignment let's stay on point with pH. If you spend a lot of money on nutrients, which I do, it makes sense that you would want to also create the proper environment so that the plant can use these nutrients. But with a pH way out of the 6.3 to 6.8 range in soil, a lot of these expensive nutrients will just sit there not doing the plant any good. If you are in a soilless mix like cocoa, your pH will be in the range of 5.5 to 6.1. It's necessary and it is only within these ranges that all the nutrients are actually mobile, are able to be broken free of their salt bonds and be in the form that can go into the plants. Most soils and systems are designed so that you can apply liquids at a lower pH and then the soil or the soilless mix causes a drift so that the pH can visit each spot in the usable pH range for that medium. And all of the 17 needed nutrients will be picked up each in its turn. So I hope you understand that if you really, really want to maintain a sustainable growing environment then you want your roots to laterally expand outward, keeping the healthiest part of your roots in a root ball smack underneath the main stem of the plant. And the best way to maintain that for vigorous and accelerated growth is to have your pH properly balanced. Now, it's not easy. I'm not saying for one second. There are all these miracle grow formulas that you can pay a bomb for 50 100 bucks 150 bucks 200 bucks 250 bucks because they reckon that they've got the perfect blend of all the nutrient rich trace elements and microbials and other nutrients supplements to create the perfect feeding medium it is really really hard to maintain that when you have what is known as organically rich soil when you mix garden soil right, which has gone through at least one full season of vegetable growth in your vegetable garden, meaning that you have been introducing some level of glyphosate, right, which is a fertilizer, pellet-based fertilizer, MaxiGrow, VitaSoil, Carp, Aquasol, Seasol, anything with high nitrogen elements and percentages, that's already creating a certain level of alkaline, pH-based soil. Then you're adding your organic potting mix to that. That is going to be nutriently rich because that's got all manner of organic materials. You've got wood, you've got stems, sticks, worms, stones, slate, high phosphorus, high potassium. All manner of trace elements is already existing, pre-existing in the potting mix. So now you've got garden soil, potting mix, you're also adding potash, Right, because you know that potassium is very, very important for early stages of cannabis growth. And you're adding the synthetic medium of perlite for aeration and drainage, and then mixing that all together to create your soil medium. And to balance that in the lower reaches of the sevens is difficult. More often than not, you're going to be starting at a pH range of about 7.8. So you're already behind the eight ball. Now, when you're dealing with your your seeds, which have sprouted underneath your paper towel, moist paper towel, and had now been deposited. Inserted into rock wool and have now produced their first little seedling. You're going to take that cut all the way around the actual little seedling so that the roots are exposed but not completely take all of the rock wool off and then insert the rock wool into your soil medium, you're going to be putting that into a very alkaline based soil medium. Your pH is going to be very alkaline based. So once you get it in there, you're going to want to be able to reduce it. And you don't make the mistake like so many have, me included, of using things like the vinegars, the lemon juices, the baking sodas, the Epsom salts or whatever, you need to use a synthetic medium like a pH down, which is a concentrated phosphoric acid. Okay? A concentrated phosphoric acid. So that's what I really, really wanted to focus on. So you're going to be able to grow bigger, denser, healthier and more accelerated plants if you get your pH right and if you use the watering system that I've outlined. And it's for people who have time and people who exercise patience. So I hope this study on containers, watering and pH will help you guys to maintain and sustain a cleaner and a more trouble-free, stress-free grow. And I'll catch you guys again in the next installment of Mike's CBD111 Grow. Take care. Iryites. And Namaste.